Hello, folks. Thank you for tuning into my podcast. I am James Finch, and this is The Finch Show. Um, my guest today on the very first episode is my good friend, Kevin Hughes. Um, you'll hear me say at the beginning, he is a local man here in Freeport, Illinois. He's a working man. He's a business owner. He's a musician. Um, and he's just an all-around awesome dude. We had a great time chatting. Um, I hope he comes back a lot. So without further ado, here is my man, Kevin Hughes. Hey, everybody. Thanks for coming to the podcast. This is episode one. I'm here with my friend, Kevin Hughes. Kevin is a working man. He is a business owner and he is a musician. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for coming, bud. No I appreciate problem. it. We're all like awkward as we're sitting here trying to figure out this whole microphone to, <laughs> to headphone ratio thing. And he's a musician, so he keeps screwing with my equipment to get it working better than it. I, I tried to make it the best I could. Yeah, I think you did pretty good. So if any of this sounds like crap, Blame Kevin because it's 100% his fault. I do um, what I can with the equipment I'm given. <laughs> so I got a question I'd love to ask people, um, and you're a musician. Yeah. So this, I, I really want to ask you this question. Let's say you're in a castaway type scenario. Okay, All right. Plane goes down. Plane goes down. And My worst fear. Actually, you know what's better than that? Let's say nuclear war happens. Okay. You're going into a bunker. You're going to be down there for 20 years. You have the choice of five musicians you can take with you. You can take their entire catalog, but that's all the music you're going to get to listen to for the rest of your life. Okay. So it's just the music I'm taking with me, not the actual people. No, no. Okay. You can't take any so, better down there with you. Okay. As amazing as that would <laughs> take be. It. That would be really cool. It would be <laughs> awesome to hang out with and chill on sure. Yeah. Um, so first off, I would do... By the way, remind me to tell you a story about uh, Eddie Vedder later, but anyway, go ahead. Okay, I saw him at an ice cream shop in Chicago. No. Yeah, that was dope. I was sitting there having ice cream one time with this girl. <laughs> it was like our first and only date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie Vedder's the, the most memorable part of it, right? Yeah. So we're sitting in this ice cream shop somewhere in Chicago, and I just look over and in line behind like these twelve children because there was a birthday party going on. Here's Eddie Vedder just standing there by himself, getting ready to order ice cream, and I'm like, "Man, I hope he gets the chocolate chip or something." <laughs> <laughs> like I'm just I'm more focused on the fact of like what he's gonna get. Yeah. Like verse. You know anything else versus the fact of like there's any better it, like the best it's so true why does that matter why would okay. we so we be so interested in that i would be too i, would totally I didn't even getting. i didn't even go say hi <laughs> i'm always as a side note i'm always weird about that because i feel like when you have a celebrity you know like let's say eddie better like that in an ice cream shop to you or to me, getting to meet Eddie Vedder would be like a life experience. Like, dude, yeah, I bumped into Eddie Vedder. To people who are in that position, though, I'm always like cognizant of that. Like, they yeah. probably get hounded constantly. Well, like, dude, I just want to get my damn. And for me, I've I've been around a lot of famous people in my life. I've, okay, I've I've helped out with um, hunting TV shows, or you know, I've been in the racing world mm -hmm. my whole life. So I've been around a lot of famous race car drivers and stuff like that. So I've never really been one to be starstruck. Right. But Eddie Vedder was definitely like one of those moments of like, yeah. oh man, I just want to start singing black. You know? <laughs> I want to duet with him. But So anyway, if I'm going to take like in a bunker with me for 20 years, the music, I'm definitely going to take number one, Breaking Benjamin. Right. I think Ben Burnley is a, is a god 
mm-hmm. writing music and his vocals are amazing. Um, and then number two, I would take uh, my one of my favorite bands, Silverstein. Okay, they're a um, kind of hard to put them into a genre, but they're from Canada. They're up there. In, they're definitely in the T-shirt genre. They're definitely. So I can see you're wearing the. Silverstein yeah, yeah, now. definitely wearing it right now. <laughs> so one of my favorite albums from them, "One Broken Is Easily Fixed." So there's my top two. Um, definitely, even though they probably wouldn't make it, but Van Halen for sure. Okay. Um, Van Halen and Black Sabbath would be three and four. Okay. Those were my two main inspirations for music. For uh-huh. Wanting to be a guitar player growing up and learning the style. <clears throat> Um, number five is kind of a throw up there. It's like the wild card. Yeah, it's like the wild card. Like I don't really know who would who would make the cut on that one. This would be one of those questions that's going to nag you for weeks. Probably. Yeah, gonna, I'll, I'll text you in a couple <laughs> yeah. weeks and be like, "Yeah, here's number five. Yeah, for the next several weeks, I'm going to get three EM texts. Oh crap, I forgot about. <laughs> it, it, it might happen. It, it's going to definitely keep me up at night. Right. Yeah. It's a good question. I feel like that's a great question. Um, you can ask anybody, especially when you first... First of all, it's a great breaking the ice. Question. It really is. You know, it's also a great... I, I think, yeah, you get to know a lot about somebody. Like, when you get those people that are like, well, I don't know. I don't really know. Or they'll just name off a bunch of songs and not know who sings Well, them. yeah, they'll name off the songs they don't know or they're not into music. Right. Because, like, for me, like, music... Um, music's one of those things that, like, I feel. Right. So no matter if I'm sad, happy, mad, oh, whatever, like... A song can hit me a different way depending oh, yeah. on what my mood is. Yeah. But I can't stand music that no matter what you can't feel. Right, yeah. Like there's it's just a song. Right. You know? So that's why I lean towards a lot more of the rock music based on lyrics and stuff like that. Because it's stuff that people have actually really gone through. Instead of like she left me, she took my truck, she slashed my tire, you know, right. like that, yeah. you know. It's like actual heartbreak, actual living, actual situations. Well, and I, yeah, and I feel like a lot of the times, and it depends on who the musician is, where you can have music where you can definitely tell a difference between an artist who wrote that song is feeling that song versus something where a corporate's like, oh, hey, we got a bunch of songwriters together who wrote this song for you, pop singer, go sing it, we'll produce it, put it out there, and you'll be on tour tomorrow. And, you know exactly. what I mean? It's a totally you know, different. And I find that a lot with. Um, with country music, mm, yeah. nobody really writes their own right. songs anymore. They no. don't really write their own stuff. There's always people in the background that are getting paid however much just to sit down with their pencil and paper and write the song. Yeah, and then somebody else goes out there and, and sings it. You know, mm-hmm. I know, you know, I don't like calling people out, but like one band, Rascal Flatts, what hurts the most? Mm-hmm. They took that song about um, the guy who wrote it. Actually, wrote that about his son. You know, oh. so they turned it from that from a lost song into a she left me song. Yeah, you know, so you you take it different ways. Yeah, you know, it's like that song. They sped the tempo up. They they put more on it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's kind of sad. I sort of feel that way a lot. Um, and it's definitely it's it's a unique. I definitely think a unique human thing when we talk about music because. The crazy thing about music is like you can go back to like the earliest beginnings of man and you find all this evidence that they were making music. Oh, There's yeah. definitely something like and anybody, I mean anybody out there who's like, you know, just been in that mood. And I think all of us have been there to some degree or another where you're putting some kind of song on, you're just feeling it. Oh, you know yeah, what I mean? You feel it. Like I said, no matter what your emotions are at the time. Right. It's it's something that gets you through it or it keeps you going. Right. Favorite song. 
My favorite song? Yeah. Oh, that's too tough, man. That's too tough. There's, there's too many good ones out there. <laughs> oh. Putting you on the spot with the music. Yeah, I know. That was, that, was, that was a horrible one. That, that That's going to be a 3 a.m. text. Yeah, right? definitely. For me, and it's because I spent a lot of time thinking about this, is probably... Um, all Along the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix. Well, that's a good one. And I think we discussed this before we yeah. went into the Cubs game a while ago. But um, the crazy thing is, is I'm not, like, I, I don't mean this as any disrespect to Jimmy. I'm just, I'm not a huge Jimmy fan. Yeah. Like, I don't sit around and jam to his music all no. the time. But for some reason, that song in particular. And I'm not even talking about, like, just having it on Pandora or having it on while you're driving around. But, like, seriously, you put that song on. You put your headphones on, you close your eyes, and you feel that song. Exactly. It's and, insane. And for me, that's that's another one of those songs where, mm-hmm. you know, there's been so many people that have covered that song. You can't. And there's there's different renditions, but you can't compare it to the original. No. But at the same time, if you listen to someone else's version, you can get something different oh, yeah, from the same song. Definitely. So that's that's what's crazy to me about power music. Right. Who Who is that... Um, Gosh, there were some modern artists who recently redid a cranberry song. Oh, Bad Wolves. They did Cranberry's uh, Zombie. Yeah. And, you know, I had listened to the song, and when I first heard it, I was really upset. And I don't mean any disrespect to the band, because I don't yeah. know the band. I've never even heard of the band. Um, it kind of made me upset, because I feel like the Cranberries, especially her voice, is so iconic. And especially now that she's yeah. passed away. I, I just, exactly. I just and that, like, was, that was a whole tough situation with, you know, she was she was going to record. Yeah, that's what know? I heard is they were going to do it as a duet. Yeah, they were going to do it as a duet, and then that whole situation happened. Right. It's, God, that's too bad. Her voice, because she pops up a lot on my Pandora. Not her, but Cranberries pops up a lot between, like, that and Linger and, and several other songs. It's always amazing. I think the older you get... The more you realize how underrated certain bands are. Oh, exactly. Yeah, you know? and it's not just one hit wonders or anything. It's just overall underrated people, right? What is it? Get the attention they did, but when they come on and you hear them, right, you instantly recognize them because of their voice, or right? Their style, oh, or absolutely. Doing, you know? Well, it's like ACDC, who for thirty years, like they could come on the radio and be like, "And here's the new single," and they wouldn't even say what band in one quarter, and you're like, "That's fucking ACDC." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> here's here's Angus Young playing the same chord progression as the last thirty that songs he built, that he built a career out of, and it's good. I'm not it's bad, good. It's, it's it's good music. It's, 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 oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> well, you know, I kind of have this weird theory about music and that one of there are two topics that can cause cordial people to get into a fight and that's politics and music there is something about um like you can be having a conversation with someone be like hey what kind of music do you listen to and they start naming off bands and it can get somebody mad like they can genuinely get mad i have i have more than had my share of people upset me because I said I didn't like a certain band. Oh my you god. Know, yeah. Just because the band was big and famous, I I look at music as a different aspect of right. people, you know. For me I'm looking at it as like, okay, it's just a super basic song, basic mm-hmm. song with basic lyrics and they're not that good. Yeah. The vocals were mediocre and I don't know. People <laughs> get mad about that. Well, it, 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 gosh, it's it's one of those weird things um that you know, because I had, I had a friend, and this was, God, we're probably going back 10 years ago, but we got into this huge, huge argument. And it was purely because one of his favorite artists, I said I didn't like. And it wasn't even like uh, he started talking about him and I busted. It was like, oh, yeah, that guy sucks. Yeah. You know, it was just we were in a room with a bunch of people and the subject came up and I just said, oh, yeah, I don't like that guy. I think he's yeah, overrated. That's, that's I don't think he, I don't think yeah. he's a good singer. I don't think he's a good. And the dude got so mad at me. 
that we had an, like a screaming match, and he left and slammed the damn door. And, yeah. I, and I'm just left there like, dude. <laughs> like we, you and I, we have had many conversations where you and I are on opposite sides of the field. Oh, pretty much, and yeah. You and I can sit there and talk about it, and I listen to your views and go, okay, I understand where you're coming from. Right, and right. And you hear my views, and we don't, we don't talk shit to each other about it. Well, we do. But... We, we do, but it's in a joking way. And right. it, but it's like, I'm a grown man. You're a grown man. We both have our different opinions on things. Yeah, and. There's no need to get butt hurt over it, right? And there's you know? and something I've never ever understood <clears throat> is how, let's say, for example, there's a TV show. Yeah, you're a big, big fan of this TV show. You love it. You're it, to you, it's just the greatest piece of art ever created. I don't like it. I'm not a fan of it. Let's even go further and let's say I think it's crappy acting. I think it's yeah. crappy writing. How does my opinion on that change the level of joy you get out of it? It shouldn't at all. It, it, it really should you know? because it's, it's my interest, right? not your interest. But do you think it's like somewhere, and going back to like the music thing with that, where it's like people identify with it so much that when you criticize it, they take it as a personal criticism. You know what I mean? Yeah. I... Because <laughs> <laughs> I just... I, I feel like people... I'm going to state my opinion on this. I feel like no matter what that age range of people are, because of all the crap we've been going through the last few years, I don't care if the person's 80, 50, 10, my age, whatever. I feel like people are just too sensitive all around. Yeah, yeah. And you know, for a long time I resisted that, and I think, and probably not for a logical reason, I think whenever, because whenever you first heard those criticisms popping up, yeah. it was always sort of attacking the left or attacking millennials. And, um, but I, I think in reality, I think it's true, but just like you said, I think it's across the board. Yeah, I think it's across the board, you know? Yeah. Like, okay, I have, I have my opinions on things, but, you know, I think everybody just takes things to heart way too much instead yeah. of just letting it be what it is. Well, I think sometimes people get caught up in what's being said or what's being done versus what the intent is or what the source is, right? Yeah. Like, for example, like, like, let me lay this scenario out for you. Like, for example, we're here doing a podcast. <clears throat> and to preface this, obviously, I'm a nobody. Like, this is, this is the first podcast. It's not even like, yeah. I'm, I'm not president. I'm not CEO of Disney or anything else like that. Let's say, and this is purely just for theoretical reasons. Let's say I spend 20 minutes going on a rant about how much I hate Harleys. I don't like people who ride Harleys. I don't like Harley people. I don't like people who talk about Harleys. Yeah. I think it's stupid. Now, we're, we live in this modern age where if I was somebody of important and I went on this rant, people would get really, really upset oh, about yeah. it. People there'd be all kinds of there'd be all kinds of protesting about it and angry, and they'd probably be burning crap in their backyard and posting it on YouTube. Somebody would call you a racist for not liking Harleys. I mean, <laughs> and, and, and my feeling on it is, is at the end of the day, like, who gives a shit? Yeah. If an cares? idiot says something stupid, then an idiot says something stupid. It doesn't really, like, I think the fact that you're going to get all offended about it makes it a bigger deal than it is. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I think there are things that people should be aware of, maybe should get offended about. There are certain things, but it gets to the point where offended has become a bad term. You know it really, what I mean? It really has. Oh. Like, okay, so here's the thing. It's like, I know out there somewhere, I, I'll go play a show at a bar or wherever. Mm -hmm. I know some. not everybody's going to like my music. Right. Not everybody's going to like what I play. Right. 
at some point somebody's going to say to me, I think your music sucks. And guess what? Good for you. Yeah. Not it's not what you're into. It's not what you mm-hmm. like. You obviously like a different type of music. Right. So that just still strives for me to keep making better music. Right. And be better in my talents and what I can do. Right. And I think a lot of times you have to write, like, first of all, we, like we live in the age of social media now. Yeah. You know, we, we really do everything. It, everything. It, it's a whole new world. And it's crazy how I think, you know, for a long time, um, if this is going to make any sense at all, I'm probably just going to sound like an idiot. But, um, for a long time, we would have people that we would hold up like marble statues, like this person's iconic, this yeah. person's. And now with the information age and everything being out there, it's almost like we're figuring out that not everybody is perfect, and that's bothering us. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, I I have a personal pet peeve of mine is like, I feel like... There are certain stages to voice your opinions on things and certain stages not to. Right. If I go to a concert and I paid good money to go see those people, like for instance, I went I went Wednesday night with my best friend and we went to a Breaking Benjamin, Three Days Grace and Chevelle concert. Okay. And I'm I'm not, I'm not saying it happened there because it didn't, but I paid good money for my ticket. Mm-hmm. I do not want to hear you up on stage talking about politics even as a religious person myself i don't want to hear you talking about religion politics your opinion on anything i want to hear you play music and i want to leave right that is all i care about well there's a yeah i i I know what you mean and there's kind of a weird relationship there where it's like you know let's say for example um i become a musician and i get to be really really famous Mm -hmm. by the way that'll never happen i'm i love music i'm terrible at it though um but the thing that I think would be important to keep in mind is that I'm famous because of my music, not exactly. be, not because of anything else. Like I said, like whether it's a musician, a athlete, an actor, whatever, you're there because of, like you said, what you did. Right. And that is not the right stage. Well, the problem with social media now, I think, is that it has given everybody a voice to be offended or give their opinion, and that's not what it's there for. Right. You know? Well, I think in a lot of ways we need to, you know, right now we're going through a social revolution and we don't know where it's going to land yet. You know, we went through this, um, and I don't have dates, um, several hundred years ago, but it used to be for the longest time, anything that got released to the public had to be written by royal scribes or scribes who work for the government who could write it on copies of piece of paper and it get passed around. Once the printing press was invented and anybody could write a leaflet or a pamphlet and print up hundreds or thousands of copies and randomly distribute them around town it caused a huge social upheaval because now all of a sudden anybody could write anything and distribute it to the masses put it out there and so from the outshoot of that you know the kind of at the end of the day thing that we got was um obviously newspapers actually reporting um a thing known as journalistic integrity which i'm not going to (laughs) comment but i i Okay, I will come on. I, I feel like because I, I know some people who are journalists and they're 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 damn good people, and I know that there are a lot of people out there in the news industry who try really really hard to get it right. Unfortunately, attached to that are millions of urchins like the bottom of a boat who will do anything for a buck and clickbait and don't have a problem sensationalizing everything. Yeah. And that goes from small time blogs all the way up to major newspapers. We yeah. are even guilty of that. But the point is, is that. We're going through this transition now. Now that we have social media, now that everybody's thoughts and opinions can be out there and they can see everybody else's, it's going to be interesting to see. We're 
at, we're not even at the apex of this revolution no, yet. We're still at the beginning close. of this. Technology is still getting better. Right. I mean, even, okay, I was born in 92. Jesus. Just the technology from when I was a kid growing up in the 90s to what kids have in the 2000s and now yeah. is totally different. Oh, and yeah. It's, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. But, yeah, the, the social media started out from, like, okay, I like to see pictures of my niece at school or on a field trip or whatever on Facebook. Right. I don't want to get on and see everybody's rant opinion of one thing or another because honestly 99% of the time I'm sure you know too they don't research anything it, it's pointless they just they post it because they hear something about it and they're like oh well this is this well yeah and you know this is the biggest thing and anybody who's listened to this who's followed me on Facebook for a while knows that like several years ago I used to be extremely vocal on Facebook regarding politics and stuff like that and eventually I just quit and not quit Facebook, but quit doing that. And it had absolutely nothing to do with a change in convict convictions or a change of opinions. It, it more came to a, a revelation in that what we're dealing with right now, we're dealing with a situation. To me, there is nothing worse, whether it's online or whether it's in person, to encounter somebody who disagrees with you and decide you are going to quote unquote drop truth bombs on them. That is the yeah, that's, dumbest that's... idea on the planet. Because I there is not a single person out there who's held a political belief, who someone else walked up to, screamed at them to the point where spit was coming out of their mouth. And the person getting screamed at went, you know, that's a good point. I did not think about it that yeah. way. I'm going to no go one, rethink. No one's ever going to do that. <laughs> and, and like whether that's in person or on social media. So what you're going to do is like, let's say I feel this way about a political topic. I find a meme that's getting shared around that nails it on the head. I share that. And I share that on Facebook with a giant middle finger to everybody who disagrees with me. Is that doing anybody any good? No. None whatsoever. No. None. What's going to happen is the people who already agree with me are going to like it. They're going to like it. And give me a high five. Like, is, hey, good for you. Yeah. Whoever it, disagrees and has their, their belief, you know, they're just going to, it's not going to change what they. One or two things are going to happen. They're either going to get pissed off or they're going to ignore me. Neither one is good. Neither one's going to happen. You know, for the overall, and I feel like. Even though I don't my, like my political beliefs haven't changed, yeah. I feel like it alienated a lot of friendships that didn't need to be alienated. That wasn't that at the end of the day, there were people who got upset with me. Again, not that I'm it retracting is, anything. It is amazing to me how people, like you said, you lose friendships. I've known people that lose family based over political beliefs, religious beliefs, right. whatever. Saying you hate that person's band. <laughs> but it, it, it's amazing to me. Instead of just being able to have the thought of you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe. I want help understanding. That's everything I've ever gotten out of my New Year's conversation helps me understand why you believe what you believe. That is exactly what it is. Um, as a side note, the artist that I mentioned that had my friend so mad he slammed the door, it was Johnny Cash. But anyway, oh, yeah. <laughs> that'll do it right there. Yeah, I'm gonna stay out on that one. <laughs> and my sister loves Johnny Cash. I'm sorry. Um, no, but you know, the, the problem that we have is, and I think this is something we need to figure out with social media and this new information age, the cyber age that we're in, is that we've reached the point where we no longer discuss things. We don't no. talk about things. We scream comments at each other. And that's, to me, that's part of the problem is that it used to be, you know, it'd be, it'd be shocking to most people looking at the, the state of politics today, as in the past, how many senators 
or congressman, I should say, who would freely vote for a bill, whether it was from a Democrat or Republican, based upon how they felt about it. And even voters would evenly be like, yeah. well, you know, I voted Republican, but I like this guy. Like, the D in the R wasn't as big a deal as yeah, it is it really today. wasn't a big deal. And now, now it's, it's it become so It is far everything. Far. It is everything. And, it's, and the crazy thing about it is, is that if you truly break it down, like if you were to sit there, like let's say I were to sit across the table like this with a Democratic senator, Let's say it's even, you know, AOC. Let's say it's somebody like that who's like a lightning rod. Let's say her and I were to sit here and have a three-hour-long discussion. We'd probably agree on a lot of things. Now, if I were to have somebody equal to that from a Republican sitting there, we could sit here for three hours and probably agree on a lot of things. We might differ on the way to get to the goal, you know. But at the end of the day, I think that what people don't realize is that the right and the left, in terms of, like, the overall aims, aren't that different. At the end of the day, the biggest thing that we forget is that in reality, if people are in government, and they're in the government for the right reason, they're not into government to pocket money on the side. If they're in government for the right reason, whether they're Republican or Democrat, they're in it with with good intentions, hopefully. And that good intention should be us. Right. You and I. Absolutely. Which I feel 90% of the time is overlooked. Yeah, I think think it's kind of one of those things where a lot of people who first get into it maybe start off idealist. Yeah. And over the course of time, when it becomes the grind about getting campaign money and, of course, saying the right thing so your party doesn't abandon you and blah, 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 you kind of end up compromising a little bit of yourself over and over and over again to the point where you get these people who have been, you know, senators from wherever for 30 years and they are so far off from where they started. Personal opinion, I'm a huge fan of term limits. I, I don't care what side these people are on. Yeah. I feel like if you're 90, 95 years old, <laughs> you you don't really you don't really understand the times of a change. Yeah, I, you know, and the funny thing is I've gone back and forth on that in my mind because part of me understands it completely. Like you yeah. shouldn't like this is the crazy thing. And I'm just going to say this name out there just to prove a point. I'm not trying to drop right or left names. But when you look at people, for example, um, whether it's, you know, the Clintons or whether it's Mitch McConnell, when you have these people who are career public servants and they have gotten, they are worth millions and hundreds of millions of dollars, something's wrong. That's very wrong to me. And I don't care. Right, left. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. If, If you've been in there that long and you're worth that much money. What did you actually do for me to earn yeah. all of that money? Well, especially since, and I'm not going to need more money than I'm ever going to have in my entire life. <laughs> exactly. And I have had some really shitty jobs. <laughs> I've had some of the worst jobs. Right. Like, I've worked in a slaughterhouse before. I have worked in a fur factory where we skinned animals and dried out the fur. Like, yeah. I've had some crappy jobs. And I never got paid that much as they did to go wear a suit all day, you yeah. know, like, yeah, and postulate in front of, yeah, and then just sit there, and like, how many hours a day do they actually do actual work? The crazy thing is, is that, first of all, um, and I'm not naming names, but it, it amazes me when you look at some of these people who are lifelong public servants, who are worth hundreds of million dollars, and when you look at the state they're from and they're representing, they're like some of the states that are the worst in yeah. like, poverty and literacy yeah. and infant mortality. And the other side of it is, is that they, cre- they did this once. I remember, I don't know if you ever watched Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. It was like last year, they did an episode on it. <clears throat> and it was really interesting because they got into members of Congress, how much time out of their day, literally how many hours of the day they spend in their office with a list of phone numbers 
calling people asking for money for re-election. That's like the biggest part of their job. Yeah, instead of actually right. trying to help us. That's, that's what I go, it goes back to why I was saying. There's so, there's so much against each other, battling each other and trying to win right. that they're just overlooking everything right. that needs to be done instead of just getting it done. Yeah, and I think the big problem, and I, I've felt this way for a long time, and I, I don't care if you're a Republican, I don't care if you're a Democrat, this is something every American should be behind, is this notion that we need to get the money out of politics immediately. Exactly. Whole, I, just, I just talked with my girlfriend about that today. Okay. We were in uh, we were in Madison, Wisconsin for a show that my... Uh, my but one of my good buddies, his band had to show up there, so we were on our way back, and I, I talked about that. It's like there, there's way too much money. Mm-hmm. They take so much money. Oh, it's insane. And I, I feel like it's it's not going towards that. Right. You know, I mean, even even local government, you know, here in Illinois, like our roads are horrible. Oh God. How much <laughs> money do we spend from from toll roads and taxes and everything else? And our roads are absolutely just going. Right. Well, and it's it's so goofy. And I, I feel like, and I don't entirely have the answer to this. I hope people yeah. smarter than me can come up with the answer to this. I, I hope so, too. But, <laughs> appreciate it, pal. But, uh, you know, gotcha. you know it made up, completely made up scenario here. Like, let's say you're running for office. You've decided to run for office. And you realize that it's going to cost you, let's say, $60 million to get reelected. And you're going through all the fundraising goals. You're you're trying. You know you're doing these cold calls. You're making campaign stops. You're trying to raise money. You're doing all this stuff online. Here along comes this company, this mining company, that says, um, um, "Hey, we want to. We we really like you. We like what you stand for. We we, we want to pitch twenty million dollars at you. Help you get reelected." And you're like, "Oh God, thanks. I, there's no way I was going to get reelected without that money." And so you take that twenty million dollars. You get reelected. You're you're you get elected. You're in office now. Everything's going good. Six months down the road, this bill comes up, and this bill is going to do this. And you're like, "That makes a lot of sense. Like that's going to help a lot of people. That's going to be really really good." A representative from that company comes along and knocks your door, whispers in your ear, and says, "Hey, by the way, you're going to need to vote against that bill because we've got money on the line and the factor in this place and this place, and we stand to lose about a hundred million dollars." So, yeah, and they they just gave you twenty million dollars, yeah. basically, to buy you. Yeah, and that's exactly what it is. And so it's kind of one of those things where if you know, I could understand a, you know somebody being in that position, being like, "Shit, <laughs> fuck, now what am I going to do?" Yeah, um, but at the end of the day. We just remove the bad part of that whole equation out of it. And I don't know how we do it. Do we like take tax money and set a certain amount of money aside and says every candidate gets X amount of dollars to get reelected? Because at the end of the day, you need money to get reelected. The more we allow people, especially corporations, to contribute to that. Here's what I don't honestly truly understand. Okay. Why do you need any of that money to get elected? I, you know, I don't know the specifics, but I got to imagine right now it's got to be a lot less than it used to be with social media. It used to be you had to buy TV time. Social media, and, TV ads, yeah. this and that, but why does a president or, uh, you know, someone running, why do they need a Super Bowl ad? Right. You know, why do they need all of those ads? We obviously all know who's in the election. We all <laughs> right. know who's running. We all know what they stand for. It, it, it's the same thing as like screaming at each other. Just because one candidate runs a bash against somebody right. doesn't change my opinion of either, you know, right. either of them. Well, it's so weird. And, God, we're going back to, I remember when I was a kid, I was probably like nine or ten years old, and a family friend was running for um, state rep- representative in Illinois. 
And being a good family friend, my dad had volunteered to help out in the campaign. And all it was was going around and putting up the yard signs. And I was, so of course he was bringing me along with yeah. to be to be his little helper. And this is probably like 89, 90, something like that. And uh, yeah, before you were born. Yeah, so before child labor <laughs> Go to hell, son. Um, <laughs> And I remember we met at his house at like five o'clock in the morning and a representative there was from there with the party with like a truck that was full of all the signs. And he was basically breaking down to us the science of yard signs. He's like, it's really crazy. You wouldn't think about it, but it's just like advertising. The average oh, person, the more yeah. when that it gets, name is gonna get yeah, stuck in your yeah. Head. When they go to vote, whatever, when they see the two names next to each other, whichever name sticks out in their head the most is going to be oh, like oh, I've seen a lot of signs for that person. They must like that person. So it became our goal to get out there and get as many of these yard signs up. Of course, they, we weren't just randomly going to people's yards like oh, by the way, you're voting for so and so in your front yard, you know. But it's one hundred percent true, and I think you know they always break down the thirds. Like, yeah. there's always a third of the country that's going to vote Republican. There's always a third that's going to vote Democrat. And then there's the undecided. There's third. the undecided set. Yeah. And they don't follow it as close as <laughs> you or I do. They right. Don't, they really don't care or haven't looked into what that person <laughs> has done. <laughs> did, you, did you ever see that Saturday Night Live skit they did on the undecided voter? Um, no. The, oh God, I'll have to share it to you. I'll show it to you. Yeah, they broke it down like a, like a campaign ad. You know, or like well, like one of those pharmaceutical commercials with like the good oh, people running in the park. And, <laughs> and it's talking about, you know, the undecided voter. And, you know, it's got this guy in his kitchen. He's drinking coffee. And he's like, there are some people out there who already know who they're going to vote for. Me? I need a little bit more information for I might make my decision. <laughs> like... Who's running and when's the election? <laughs> oh man, yeah. I feel like I feel like I love those like get up and vote campaigns or like this or that, and like you have everybody online, on right. social media, like yeah. talking crap about every every other person that's not who they like. But then no matter who it is, if it was a Trump supporter, a Hillary supporter, a Bernie Sanders supporter. There's so many people that didn't go vote. Just did not they vote. They just did not go vote. Right. You cannot get online and talk shit like that <laughs> and, and, and post all these get up and vote campaign things if right. you're just going to like sleep in and, you know, <laughs> not do anything. We're, we're going to spend months going on and on and on about how important it is to like, vote for I so-and-so. Literally, I literally went into work two hours late so I could go vote at 7 a.m. Right. You know? Yeah. I, I made that important, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure everybody else at my work did the same thing because I didn't, wasn't going to get off work in time to go vote. Well, that was that, that's what cracks me up about it. And you're absolutely right. Whether it's right or left, it doesn't matter. When I see these people who will go on yeah. and on and on, you got to vote for so and so. They'll do this for months, yeah. months leading up to the election. The actual election day comes. You're like, so did you vote? And they always have this like reaction, like somebody asked them to get up to f- oh. at 4 a.m. to go let their mom's dog out. Like, yeah. no, I just didn't get her out. Yeah, I, um, <laughs> I had, you know, I, I had a lot going on that day. I got up at, like, 11, and then, uh, you know, I, I took a good shower, and then, um, I, 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 I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there was a Parks and Rec marathon yeah. on, and didn't happen, bro. I, I felt like restarting the office for the third, 350th time. <laughs> Got to get it in before it's off Netflix. I know, man. Right? I get so, it in. <laughs> I think I already took away How I Met Your Mother, but I mean, I'm okay. put that on a different. I'm okay with that. One. That's fine. That one can go. I, I actually really like that. You show. know, the funny thing is, here's you know what? A, here's you know what? I'm just going to say it. I'm really offended that you don't like that show. No, here's the, here's the funny thing. I really thing. don't care. No, no, seriously. I think I, this will be interesting to see if you agree with me. Because in all. In all intents and purposes, I actually like the show. I enjoy the show. 
I think Ted Mosby is the most uninteresting main character of any show. Like, that show would be that, great without him. That guy <laughs> drives me nuts. Absolutely fucking nuts. Like, I'm sorry, but every woman I've ever hooked up in my life with, I don't give them 100% of my heart and fall in love and try to marry them, and that's not the future Mrs. Kevin Hughes. Right. This dude's way too into every single thing oh, he does. Oh, yeah. Way too into well, every was, single thing. And I guess the way to put it is a he, he was like a good combination of vanilla and whiny and <laughs> moody. And, I, and, just, I, and again, I feel like that show would be great if he didn't exist. Like if this show was just about a group of friends in New York. Yeah, it, like, I'm pretty sure that's called Friends. Couldn't they just replace that guy with, like, Carrot Top or some shit and it'd be oh, great? Man. I, I, I don't know. Like, it makes the show, but then it, if you took it out, it would be better. Or if they just changed how he was. Right. That'd yeah. And I guess... Like, and then, and then, to be honest, Robin pisses me off. Because, okay, the show could have been over in three episodes. If him and Robin got together, she wasn't such a... Canadian, and <laughs> I don't know what that means, but okay. In the show, she's from Canada. Right, right, yeah. But no, okay. So that was a funny joke, but um, but no, if if she wasn't so like, I don't know what I want in my life, and he wasn't so clingy and pushy, right. and they would have just gotten together. Show's over in three episodes. Right. Is that how it ended? Yeah. He, well, in the end, he asks his kids if he should if he should go out with Aunt Robin. Or ask her on a date, and then the show ends. So I'm guessing they got together. So who's the kid's mother? Oh, she was only in the show for like two episodes. Would she die or something? Yeah, or she died. Of what? I don't know. She was sick. Spoiler know. alert, folks. If you haven't watched How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> if you yeah. haven't watched all, all, I think it's nine seasons. Why would you not ask Robin out? I don't know. What the hell? She was beautiful. She was successful. She was Canadian. I mean, she, she probably was skin a damn moose. I and she was probably great at hockey. Right. Yeah. And she had been a pop star, right? Yeah. Robin Sparkles. Yeah. Oh my God, that was. Those are the best things. If you haven't looked them up, look up the Robin Sparkles music videos on YouTube. Okay. And that is the funniest shit you will ever see in your life. Like her one song is called "Let's Go to the Mall." And oh, yes. oh, that is hilarious. And yes. My personal favorite is Sandcastles in the Sand. Oh god. <laughs> that was that, that is like the best the best TV show comedy music video thing I've ever seen in my life. How did we end up here? I don't remember. <laughs> we went from politics to how I met your mother like that. I think that's a microcosm of America right now. Like that's literally so, what happened. Well in the doctors, when I was a kid, said I had ADHD, but... I think they told uh, every kid in the I'm pretty sure ADHD. It, they just pumped me full of, like, Ritalin and Adderall <laughs> and everything else, which... Yeah. No, I was just a hyper five-year-old boy, like... Yeah. I was trying to burn off energy. Yeah. Well, it... it because is, now I'm not hyper. I kind of want to be calm. Like, I want to sit at home yeah. and not do anything right well it's you know it's a weird experience and maybe you felt this way too and i was the same way when i was a kid i was think i was like nine or ten or eleven or something like that and i was diagnosed with adhd and they put me on ritalin and all this crap yeah and it sort of felt to me looking back on it and again i don't while i have a lot of people in my family who work in education i don't in any way shape or form claim to be an expert on education so i don't have the answer to this but it's sort of like the problem is is that when you have a child who is 
very, very creative, has a ton of energy, and they're sitting there. They're sitting there in the classroom. They are in second grade, they are in third grade, they are in fourth grade, and they're forced to sit in this damn yeah. chair and listen, eight, to, nine hours. and listen to these lessons. And you're looking outside and your body is like vibrating like molecules and all yeah, you can think is, and all you can think is, I want to be anywhere but fucking here right yeah, now. Yeah, literally like second, <laughs> third grade. I didn't want to listen to the 85 year old lady with white hair who could like take 10 minutes to walk across the room. Right, yeah. You know, first off, I could barely hear what she was saying. Second right. Off, I didn't care what she was saying because it's the same damn thing I learned last year. Right, yeah. You know, how many times do I have to learn about Christopher Columbus? Oh, you know about Christopher Columbus? Who? Exactly. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the like, first white guy to find America? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, how many times can you teach me the same crap? Right. Time? But yeah, as a five, six year old boy, I want to go play. Yeah. I want to go yeah. explore. I want to go do something. Right. You know, mm -hmm. I don't want to be sitting in this hard ass plastic chair right. for nine hours. Well, that's exactly it. When it's like, before I came to school and I watched the most recent episode of Transformers. Yeah. And now it's a couple hours later and I'm sitting here listening to this fourth grade teacher talking about division and multiplication tables and all I can think about is freaking Starscream. Yeah. And Megatron. Yeah. Like you can't tell me that's not way more interesting. Yeah. Now, now don't get me wrong. I think on some level, and it'll be interesting to see if I have any issues with this as my kids are getting older now. My, my one and my oldest is a sophomore. And then my other ones, and he's he's never had any problems, at least recently. Um, but my other one, who's seven, who's now in second grade, and my three-year-old, who's in preschool, um, what's going to happen if I ever get notified notify from their teachers that they're misbehaving? Because on one hand, I think that children do need to learn social structure, yeah. and they do need to be educated. But on the other hand, I think tying them to a chair and peeling their eyelids open. And I don't get me wrong. I think it's better now than it was 20, 30 years ago when I went through school. Yeah. Um, listen to some of the stuff my daughter says when they come home from school and they have frequent breaks to do this, or they do a lot more hands-on projects. Whereas I'm like old enough, I'm going to be 40 here coming up soon, that it was still, and mind you, I went to a private Catholic school. Not that I think that matters in this regard. Where it was, you sit in this chair, you are in this exact same room all day long except for lunch and recess, yeah. and for an hour we're going to do English, and then for an hour we're going to get out our math books, and then for an hour we're going to get out our social studies books, and it's like, it was torture. Yeah. It was just I torture. I feel like it, it has become a lot more hands-on. I have a good buddy who is a third grade teacher, and they all have classroom helpers now. Yeah. You know, when okay, and I'm I'm 27. He's I think two or three years younger than me. He became a, a teacher at like 22 years old. Mm -hmm. Teachers are becoming younger, which I think kids relate to more. Right. I think they have more patience for the kids. I think so. Versus the old ladies, the old men that you know they can't handle. Even if it's 30 kids in a classroom, compared to let alone 80 right. kids in a classroom. You know, so having the, the the teacher helpers and stuff coming in the room and more one on one time, I think that's really good stuff and more stimulus. I think that's yeah. huge in changing. Yeah. And, and the the, other, the one other thing that I found interesting is I don't know if I ever told you this, but my mom for her entire career worked in school administration. She was the principal of my high school where I went to, which was awesome. If you ever forget your lunch money and you're just like. Hey, Mom. <laughs> I got to go to the principal's office and get a buck so I can buy chocolate milk <laughs> at a nutty bar. But, uh, no, I, I always thought it was interesting that one of the things she said is if you were looking at it a purely, like, situation where you had a job position open and, like, let's say for a history teacher and two people applied for it, they're both the same age, like simplifying assumptions everything is static like they're all like they're both the same sex age went to the same school and yada 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 the person who from high school all through college got 
100% straight A's. And her mind is going to be a disadvantage. And the person who got some A's, some B's, and some C's is a better choice. Because the person who got nothing but straight A's is going to have a really hard time relating to students who don't get it the first time. Exactly. They're not going to be able to relate to the kids that have problems paying attention or acting out or what to do. Because they were obviously that straightforward. Right. I'm here to pay attention and learn this. and Yeah. Yeah. And I I honestly feel like... um, Part of the thing is, and it was probably this way when you went to school too, is we were still kind of going to school in this age where it was, you will sit in this chair, you will get straight A's, you will pay attention, mm-hmm. you will not get out of line. If you do, you're going to get smacked either literally or figuratively, yeah, I mean, and it means you're so, misbehaving. So in, in grade school for me, it was like the way my classes were was I had lunch just before recess or whatever, and you know... As a young boy, me and all my friends were acting up. Well, I mean, if you if you act up, it's you don't get to go to recess or right. you got to stay here and do this. I think that's all kind of bullcrap. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Just hey, calm it down. Right. You know? But like a kid's gonna act up more taking away his recess. Dude. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, and I like because I I would I would you know you're gonna sit in a classroom by yourself. For, an hour while everybody's outside playing, you're gonna get pissed off. Right. You're gonna knock a chair over. You right. Know? You're not gonna be happy. And then guess what? Then you're even in more trouble. Well, and the bizarre thing is, is like I remember, like every year we'd have to take these like state like IQ tests sort of things that yeah. always had different initials that they yeah. were described as. And the crazy thing is, is I would like be barely passing, like be right on the verge of being held back every year going through elementary school and everything. And yet on those state tests, I would perform, I'll just say, extremely well. And it caused a lot of frustration. It was kind of like, okay, clearly you're not an idiot. Yeah. Why are you... Because there's a difference between having the intelligence and the ability to look into a situation and discern what's going on and figure out the best solution or be problem solving versus having to sit here for eight hours, listen to, you know, Mrs. Butters talk about mitochondrial DNA with a monotone voice. To me, that's not education. (laughs) That's 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 torture practices, you know? Yeah. I'd probably rather be waterboarding. Yeah, sorry if I zoned out <laughs> in the middle of your TED talk about the color beige. I'm sorry. Yeah, like, <laughs> and that's exactly... Just that dead blank stare. Yeah, like, yeah. Halfway through class, you don't even know what's going on. And, and not catching half of it. And in my head, it's you know just what? cartoons. Here's another, thing. here's another thing. I feel like homework is absolute bullshit. Yeah. To an extent. <laughs> I, I, I get, like, projects and stuff like that. Right. But no kid at that age wants to sit there for eight nine hours and then go home and have homework for another four hours right. that is ridiculous yeah. that is a full-time well and, yeah you're job. absolutely you're absolutely right it's mentally draining for someone of that age right the the thing that i like is that my daughter being in second grade now i think it's really really cool that she will come home and maybe two or three nights out of the week she has homework yeah but her homework is all like all of 15 minutes it's like hey write this down and to me i understand it's like during the day throughout your different activities and different stuff you had going on you learn this lesson now a couple hours later we're going to just reinforce it for five ten minutes and then you're good yeah but i remember even like being in high school and it was like dude if i were to seriously go home like sit in school all day go through football practice go to the weight room get home eat dinner by now it's seven thirty, eight o'clock, and I'm going to sit down and do two hours of homework. Yeah. Guess exactly. what didn't get done. Hey, uh, hey, okay, I, I look at it this way, too. A sixth or seventh grader, they cannot physically 
go do a job like you or I have for 10, 12 hours. Right. They cannot do that straight through. Right. It's the same thing with their mental capacity. Oh, yeah. They're not going to be able to go right. and do 12 to 13 hours of just yeah work and it's, it's the exact same thing to me i'm gonna have to remember i uh, i'm hoping here throughout the future of this podcast i've got a couple friends and acquaintances who are working education i'd love to have yeah, them I'd, I'd pick their brain about this too. i think part of the part of the big problem we have is it may it, i i feel like it's an absolute sin against society is how horribly and how un- underpaid educators are treated. Oh, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's to the point where it's like, when you spend, when you basically spend all day long with my child, and you spend more time with him over the course of an aggregate week, hours-wise, yeah. way more than I do, and you're the one who's molding, a lot of times, their attitudes on social situations, on, on problem-solving, on, um, oh, what would be the word? Like, resolution? Yeah, how to... How to figure things yeah. out. Yeah, and even then, obviously, explaining the obvious to them, yeah. like what a period is and a sentence and a paragraph and math and everything else like that. And yet, at the end of the day, you also, on top of it, have to spend some of your personal money to buy school supplies because your school yeah. is underfunded. Exactly. You want to call horseshit on yeah. the biggest possible. And I don't understand, and I don't get it. And it's because it always seems to be one of those things, and again, I'm not a government expert, but it seems like whenever a state... Because we can't blame the feds for this because so little public school comes from the feds. It always comes from the state level, it feels like. But it's like once they get to the point where it's like, oh, we're over budget. we got to start cutting money. Uh, We're going to start cutting in education. And it's like you're literally mortgaging your future. You're literally saying, hey, let's make our next generation dumber so we can pay for this now. When I'm sure there are plenty of other things you could cut. Definitely, definitely. And the fact that if you ask me like an educator... Like, let's say you're a first-year educator. You're right out of college. You're getting hired to teach. I don't care if it's third grade or you're getting hired to teach high school math. I think right off the bat, you should easily right off the bat be making like 70, 80K a year. Easily. Full insurance, full benefits, everything else like that. Because you have, not trying to talk down on people, but you have people who like work manual labor jobs who make way more than educators do. Yeah. And educators have such a bigger impact like yeah. your labor person, like let's say somebody works in a factory or something like that, it's not that their job is important. I'm not trying to diminish that. But at the end of the day, they're making good money, they're feeding their family, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, they're helping their company push their shares. Yeah. Whereas you've got an educator who's going into school every single day, teaching, who's teaching, kids. who could very well be. I mean, you look at people like um, you know my father who taught. He taught for thirty some years and then retired. You want to talk about how many thousands of lives he touched throughout the yeah. course of his career? How many people he he impacted? Right. Moved in a, in a better direction. Right. Come who they are and it goes back to our previous conversation on top of it what they're dealing with is every single time not every single time that's a gross exaggeration but times when their child is you know stuff gets sent home like hey your your child did this or your child did this then all of a sudden the parent is like so quick to defend the child and attack the teacher And it's like, and I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm sure there are bad teachers out there. Believe yeah, me, I've I had them. Miss Green, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, and then they got to deal with that on top of it. And it's kind of like, I, I don't remember that being a kid. I remember being a kid. And for as much as I've criticized, you know, my schooling sitting here, I can guarantee you at the end of the day, if one of my teachers sent a note home to my parents saying, James did this, 
I'm getting my ass beat. Oh man, yeah. Yeah. Whenever I got a note sent home, it was it was you know it was either my mom grabbed whatever she could or my dad you know you wait till your dad gets home, which was honestly way worse. Oh yeah. <laughs> I know. I never liked hearing like oh you wait till your dad gets home or whatever because then like this is how my dad worked. It's honestly hilarious. <laughs> it was hilarious how I got my ass beat. So no, like. My dad would get home from work after working like 13, 14 hours, whatever. My dad works construction. So my dad would get home and then he wouldn't say anything to me about uh-huh. it. So I'm like, oh, did she not tell him yet? You know, we would we would have dinner, whatever. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't say anything. Oh, he would no. ask me about my day, talk to me about school, whatever. I'm like, man, maybe she really didn't tell oh, him. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden you're done with dinner. It's like, hey, Kevin. Come in here a minute. I'm like, oh fuck, it's over. <laughs> Damn it, shut you it down. This is this is horrible. <laughs> Fight or flight. And that, takes it over. was like it was like you know, oh man, it was it was bad. But it, it's hilarious just yeah. how he would play it out to like put the fear in you yeah. before it actually. He'd happened. let that crap simmer. Yeah. yeah. So now looking back on it as a as a grown man, I'm like, man, when Dad got home, I should have been like, Dad, I did this and I screwed up. Yeah, totally. You know. Yeah. So that built character in me to where. If I screw up at my job, I don't try to hide it. Oh, I yeah. literally go to my boss or whoever yeah. and say, hey, this happened, here's what yeah. happened, you know, I fucked up. Right. You know, so yeah. it's kind of, it's, it, it's the same as a teacher. You have a huge impact on how that person makes decisions yeah. in life. Yeah, yeah, you know, And that's that one thing that my dad instilled in me. Yeah, and that's huge. And you're absolutely right, and it was the same way, and I feel that way, and it was, it was funny that um, you mentioned that because I remember it was like two or three years ago or something like that. I was at work and the day before I had screwed up. It was an honest mistake. I messed it up. It was boneheaded, idiotic. I don't have a defense for it. And it was one of those situations where I had literally heard people in the boss's office with the door shut getting screamed at for doing that. Mm. And I thought, well, I went into work the next morning and the very first thing I did before I even clocked in is I went to the boss's office and shut the door. I'm like, hey, I screwed up. And he was like, yeah, well, there's no point in trying to hide yeah, it. Yeah, I'm not going to try and hide it. I'm not going to run for it. I'm not going to go about my day like nothing's going on, hoping nothing happens. And he and he didn't even know what I was talking about. I told him, like, yeah, this is what I did. I'm a total idiot. And he was like, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, don't do that again. Kind of like, thanks for owning up to yeah, it. And that, and I feel like I feel like that's absolutely huge. And I go through that with my, with my children. You can't blame kids. I, I think that... Um, you know, a lot of making sure that kind of stuff gets instilled in my children as well. Yeah. Making sure that, like, listen, if you cover it up, I'm going to be ten times mad exactly. than if you just, like, if you literally if just, you just own up to yeah. your actions in life. And I yeah. feel like that's a huge thing that people have problems with nowadays is mm-hmm. owning up to their actions. Yeah. Just own up to what you did. Yeah. Admit absolutely. It and you'll move on from there. Right. You'll, you'll take whatever action necessary. Yeah. But it's not going to be an over-the-top rage. It, you know? And I feel like that, yeah, that kind of sucks because um, that leads you to, at times in life, have to initiate awkward conversations. Yeah. But I, I sort of feel like, at the end of the day, that's way better. And this is this is going to sound like <clears throat> really, really like prophetic or something like that. But I've sort of taken this view that... Throughout life, every single day, every single thing you do, everybody you interact with, you're basically building something. And I I feel like what you're building is sort of like a statue of you. And you're building it slowly every single day over the course of time. Because at the end of the day, when you die, 
what's going to be left is that statue. That's what everybody's going to look at because those are all the memories that people have of you. Now, what kind of statue is that going to be? Is that going to be the kind of statue where you're like, you know what? That guy was always honest with me. He was always up front. We may not have agreed with everything, but he was always there in a pinch. He was always, and I think a lot of times you, <clears throat> I, I guess the legacy would, would yeah. be a good word. I know that sounds like really hyperbolic, but it seems like, um, I, I feel like as I get older, the more you start thinking about how your interactions with other no, people matter. I completely agree with that because obviously when I was younger, between 16 and 20, like I was a totally different person than I am. Oh yeah. You know, too. I was, I did a lot of stupid shit uh-huh. and I probably pissed off or gave a lot of people the wrong impression. You know? mm-hmm. Just, well, I gave them the right impression at the time. Right. But for those people that don't know me now, that knew me then, they right. don't know me as who I am now. They know me as who I was then. So they're like, fuck that guy. Right. You know? Yeah. So he's a piece of shit. <laughs> you know, I'm not the same person I was. Yeah. You're right. And, you know, it's so funny that that'll happen where it's like, because I think it was, yeah, last summer I had my 20-year high school reunion. That's how old I am. Um it's interesting how with the age of social media and of course we graduated in 98 which was long before social media yeah. and it was long before you know even MySpace came along um, rest in peace right <laughs> but um, you know and so it's like years and years later and you get like a friend request from somebody and you think to yourself oh that fucking guy oh yeah that exactly. Guy. Like you'll see people and like people you may know, and I'm like, God, oh, that guy was a douchebag. Yeah. But then I look, I look at his profile. I'm like, like I'm, I'm gonna creep a little bit, and yeah. then I'm like, oh, this guy's a like a business owner and has like a wife and three kids already. Yeah, like, volunteers the of, at the church. Yeah, what the hell am I doing with my life? Wow. Yeah, and it's really really hard. I, I, I rent. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and I, it's so funny because I try really, really hard to like tell myself to like get over because you end up with this like arrested development view of them, like the yeah, suspended exactly. animation of like that's who they were. I went to school with them from seventh grade through senior year, and they were always this way. Well, they're probably still that way now. The hell with them. I don't want to be friends with them on social media. Yeah. And then I think to myself, dude, who the fuck were you when you were sixteen? Yeah, exactly. Like you know the shit I was doing. Like okay, they yeah. might have been bad, but. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was dumb. I, I think, and then I think about yeah, all the crap I did at that age, and I think to myself, God, I sure as hell hope people are giving me the benefit yeah, of the doubt yeah. when they see me now. Like, oh, that is totally not the same guy, and that's good. I mean, that's a sign of growth. Well, no. not really, because I used to have hair, and now I don't. Oh, so yeah, that's not a good turn. That I can't. We can, we can get you a wig. I think you should go with that. Oh, I just want to do whatever Brian Urlacher did because that dude's hair. Oh, restore. It does. It does. I wish I had Brian Urlacher money to get some hair. I wish I had a lot of Brian Urlacher stuff. I wish I had a lot of Brian Urlacher <laughs> That's true. I got a, one of those few brushes with Celebrity Hell. I've got a signed football from him oh, in the basement. Cool. He was at Cherryville Mall in Rockford. I think it was like six years ago, and Jamie got a ticket for me as a birthday present. And it was so funny. I took my son along with him. My son at the time, I want to say, was like eight. And then, like, now completely 100% not interested in sports. Could not care yeah. less. And that's fine. That's him. You know. But he went with me to get this Brian Urlacher football sign. And for all he knew, that I don't know, some guy who plays for the Cubs or so, I don't know. You know. <laughs> and so we're in line. To Touchdown get, in left yeah, field. <laughs> yeah. So the runner touched third base. Did the Celtics win? <laughs> LeBron. Yeah. LeBron. But. So we, we wait through line for hours, and we finally get up to Brian Urlacher, and, you know, I'm, like, all nervous because this is lack. Like, he was in his yeah. prime. I am yeah. so excited so to meet. 
Yeah, yeah I'm getting the starstruck. I've got my football right there, and um, the person in line in front of me goes, and I step up and hand the football to him, and he grabs the football and he looks up at me, he looks over my shoulder and says, oh, is that your kid? And I go, and I go to put my arm back, like, yeah, this is my son, and I turn <laughs> around, and my son is 10 feet behind me staring at a sign in the mall. <laughs> and, and I said, I said, you know, you're like the embarrassment. You're like, Alex, get over here, you know. And That's he great. and he turns and looks at me, huh? What? And it was so funny. Or lacquer was like, he just starts laughing. He's like, don't worry, dude, my kid's the same way. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, cool. He no. literally doesn't care. No, so my my one Brian Erlacher experience was so. I started racing as a child, okay. racing go-karts, and then uh, I got to go back to the beginning on this to tell the story, <laughs> then you'll understand. <laughs> so I started racing as a child, I worked my way up, whatever, then we raced um, dirt cars, I raced a dirt modified, and um, we raced at LaSalle Speedway. And I had a stalker, Oh, this, this lady who I was not interested in <laughs> at all, she bought me and brought them to the track she bought me bears end zone tickets oh so i took my girlfriend to the bears game okay <laughs> with the tickets that the stalker gave me that's how i got the bears mm. so they are front row south end zone oh i'm i'm there early i'm watching practice i'm watching robbie gold you know the king i'm watching robbie gold kick him from like the 50 yard line up to like from the second tier from outside the stadium and, yeah and i'm like robbie okay gold. robbie gold is the best leg to ever live and then you know during the game my girlfriend at the time she was like oh my friend works security here she can get us family passes for down in the locker room for after the game and i'm like go meet this dude right now because she cut hair and she cut this guy's hair like once every other week oh okay so she met up with him and he gave us the family wristbands to get down to the locker room so after the game this was my experience was like Johnny Knox, everybody was cool as shit. They signed my jersey. I'm wearing an Erlacher jersey. This dude comes out of the locker room, looks right at me, towering over me. Uh-huh. And I said, hey, will you sign my jersey for me? He looks down at me and then kept fucking walking. <laughs> that is my one Brian Erlacher experience. And then he peels. Like, dude had a good day. They beat the Lions. The guy had an interception and a touchdown. Uh, the most awkward man to ever run a football down the field. Right, yeah, for had sure. A touchdown. Yeah. And he peels out of the parking garage at Soldier Field. And I'm like, what a dick. Right. So, you know, it's impressions you leave on people. So now for the rest of my life, I'm going to feel like Brian Erlacher's a dick. And he might not be a dick. It, as, a, as a side note, ladies and gentlemen, Brian Urlacher, if you ever listen to this, I think you're amazing. You're a god, and I'd love to have him on a podcast, and I don't know this asshole sitting across from me. Anyway, go ahead. If if Brian Urlacher <laughs> ever listens to this, I just want to know, why wouldn't you sign my jersey, dude? You know, I think, um, I think, and I don't know, obviously I wasn't there, but this goes back to the conversation we were having about Eddie Vedder that started this whole thing. Yeah. You don't know. Maybe it's one of those things where it's like, you encounter so many thousands of people on a daily basis that every once in a while you're just like whatever and who knows maybe he had an argument with his wife in the locker room on the phone or you know i don't know but, but yeah like you just had an awesome game you should yeah. up no you showered put your your suit on that's worth more than my house right and then got in your car that's worth more than my life insurance policy right and then healed out of there yeah I don't and know. I was one of like three people standing there. Yeah, it's not like I was in a huge crowd of right, people yeah. trying to get through. That's true. I'm in the Bears parking garage, outside of the locker room door. Right. 
Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, that goes want, back to the whole make better decisions because yeah. people think things about you for the rest I, of their life. You know, I'm going to be honest, I want to defend them, and I don't know how. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's a lacquer, and I'm uncomfortable about somebody talking shit about it, but on well, the other hand, I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, you're right. upset I was about that, I still wear his jersey He's on Earl. game day. He's Urlacher. It's Urlacher. I mean, yeah. bro. <laughs> man, man was a god. I mean, he, he was, was he was pretty great. He was no Robbie Gold, but he was pretty great. <laughs> well, nobody's a Robbie Gold. Nobody's a Robbie Gold because Robbie Gold is the all-time leading scorer for the Bears, and he was a kicker. He was a kicker. Yeah. That's why I drafted him this year and he's on a, my fantasy league. And this is the first time I've done it. Yeah. That dude got me pretty good points today. Not as many yeah. as I wanted, but he's, that was because, you know, their offense decided to go for it on third and long, and then got drove back, and they were on field goals. Yeah, which there is no such thing as right. gold. They just well, won't do it. Part of the thing is if we're going to be if we're going to do the statistical analysis thing. Part of the, and I'm not not down talking Robbie Gold at all. Yeah. I would never in a million years do that. Cross my heart, hope to die. But part of the reason why he was the, the Bears' all time scorer is that whole time he was in Chicago was like through the whole Grossman or yeah, Cutler Grossman, thing, where it was like Cutler. they they could get like just downfield, right. just enough to get within field goal range yeah. and then the drive would stall and he'd kick it and they'd walk away on yeah. But when he was with the Bears, they could drive it down the field to just 45 yard and, line and they were like, good. oh, just send Robbie out. Yeah, he'd write down the Like, middle. it really didn't yeah. matter. And it was crazy how quickly the organization was ready to dismiss him once he yeah. got to a season where he missed like, and I could be totally wrong on this, folks, but I know he missed a couple. I don't know if it he was two or three. Couple, and also they Everybody were they were just like, well, we can pay somebody less than you to miss field goals. And then he went to San Fran. He's been solid ever since yeah, then. He's been solid. Yeah, he had one down year, and they okay, were like, look goodbye. At, look, look at what the Bears had last year, man. Dude. Anything. How do you go from Robbie Gold to that? Cody Parkey. Cody Parkey. That's going to be one of those names like. That is one name. Who did, didn't somebody sign him? No, he's still a free agent. Oh my god, I thought somebody no. signed him, and I got really nervous when I heard that. And I was like, who is that desperate? Well, it seemed to me, the crazy thing is, is that, first of all, well, let's just say Co- Cody Parkey, that name is going to go down in Chicago sports media like Steve Bartman. It's oh. going to be one of those over 20 years from our to be like, oh my god, you remember that Cody Parkey game against the Eagles in the playoffs? I Dang, never thought... That anybody would be hated in Chicago more than Jay Cutler. Wow, yeah. And then Cody Parkey came to the Bears and was like, Hold my beer. Hold my beer and my glasses. Like, because this dude could not see shit. And you know, the, the crazy thing is, they gave him a crap ton of money to sign with the Bears. Yeah. Like, I think he was like one of the highest paid kickers. Yeah, it was ridiculous. To come to the Bears. And the amazing thing is, is that. When he missed the field goal and the this, this season was over, I had a sense that because part, partially because the Bears gave him so much money that they were going to attempt to stick with him, that they were going to be like, you know what, we're going to work on this stuff Not in the offseason, you know, or at the very least, if they cut him, some other team would pick him up. And then he did the whole Today Show fiasco. Yeah. And I think he, like, it was literally, I think, within days after that, that the Bears cut him. They were like, we're done. Like, we win as a team, we lose as a team, that's the culture we're trying to build here. And you're going to go on the Today Show after basically not doing your job and screwing us out of going to the the conference championship game, and you're going to talk about me and I and me and I and blah, 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 blah. And I honestly think that screwed him out of any other team picking him up, too. And here's the thing, too. In that game there at the end, he made the first one, and then they called a timeout right before 
immediately snapped the ball. Yeah. He made that. Yeah. As soon as he made that, I knew he wasn't making yeah, the second one. it was over. I just went, okay, this game's fucking over. Right. And I just, I don't understand it. So, okay, so the Bears bring, <laughs> the, the Bears bring to their camp this year, what, nine different kickers? I think so. It was, it was like nine or ten yeah. different kickers. They'd made a total circus on it. And right? now they literally have... Eddie Pinero. Yeah, I think that's his name. I drafted him as a bad <laughs> But hey, let's be honest. He is the highest scoring bear this season so far. I had never, <coughs> watching that Bears game last Thursday, I don't think I had ever been, I, I know, I have never been that nervous for a kicker yeah. in a week one matchup because all of Chicagoland was watching him kick that and one field goal. he missed that one in preseason. Yeah. And yeah, everybody was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, it's whatever." And he came back out in the game and he, he made. You know, oh, he, he drilled made, it. Drilled him, you know. Yeah, one hundred percent. As soon as he kicked that ball, I thought he just shanked it left. Yeah, I was like, it hooked. No. Yeah, it hooked. Well, somehow came back. Yeah, it was, it was like <laughs> a frisbee or like a boomerang. I was like, "How does that even?" Yeah, he just go straight. It was down a total curveball. It, it was just a total curveball. Yeah, I don't know what it. But I almost the weird thing is like I didn't know this kid, but I felt bad for him because I'm yeah. like, here he is, he's a young kid. It's his dream to be an NFL kicker. Yeah. He gets his first spot in his first game. Like, so help me God, if he goes out and misses this, Chicago's going to be ready to lynch him. And it's not just the game; it is the season opener against, against the, the Green Packers. Bay Packers. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the biggest, honestly, for me, one of the biggest rivalries. Of oh, absolutely. Not just being I think in Illinois. Is. I think it has to be the biggest rivalry yeah. in football. You know, we're right here basically on the state line here yeah. in Illinois. And it is such a mix that floods over on either side. Or football-wise, definitely. I think a lot of the um, rivalries that exist in the NFL are media-created. I think they're media-created. Yeah, Bears-Packers, absolutely they, not. And, yeah, Bears-Packers, no. They truly hate each other. It is and for real. They talk shit on social media and on, you know, they'll yeah. get on ESPN and be like, no. Screw Aaron Rodgers, we're gonna kill him this week. You know? <laughs> Which I, I I gotta be honest, like I, I don't understand why all these teams now are not playing any of their starters in preseason to warm them up. Yeah, like they're just like here's season opener, biggest rivalry that there is. Yeah, go out there and play for the first time. It took Rodgers what ten minutes to get back in rhythm. Yeah, not even, and then he's like, boom, here's a bomb. Right. Boom, yeah, here's a bomb. Mm-hmm. He looked good. He yeah. wasn't a match for the Bears defense, but then again, he was. Right. Well, you know, and when you look at that game, Rodgers really only had the, it was that one like four play seventy four yard drive. Yeah. Other than that, he was Other pretty than that, much. He got sacked twice. Six times? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Six times? Their offense is pretty well neutered the yeah, most of that yeah. game. I think the big shock to us is that, A, the Packers' defense was way better than we thought it was going to be. Way better. And but Mitch looked way me, worse than he thought we were going to. To me, it wasn't just Mitch. It was basically everybody out there. But I felt the play calling was completely Pete Carroll Super Bowl play calls. Yeah, it seemed I off. feel like Matt Nagy just... Like you, I, I know you and I texted during the game. You right. said he, you felt he was overthinking things. Yeah, and I mean, it's like, it's like fourth and one on like the thirty yard line, like in the first half of the game. Why not just kick the field goal? Right. Why do you have to go for it? Yeah, get the points and walk away. You know, and they literally try to run it up the middle with nothing. There. Yeah. Uh huh. 
it's not high school football. <laughs> yeah, that's, I don't know. And, you know, the crazy thing is, is that I, I absolutely love Matt Nagy. And yeah. I feel like the culture he's brought to Chicago Bears football has been great. I feel like him as a person, and we also got to keep in mind he's just a second-year coach. Yeah, and for me, what I like about Matt is it's nice to actually have a coach that gets pissed off about things. Right. Well, <laughs> for us in Chicago, it was so weird because it's like you went through Lovey Smith, and yeah, then you went we through— literally just— Stood there. Like, looked into space not knowing what was going on. Well, and you went through Lovey Smith, and then we went through Mark Tressman. Oh, my God. And then we went through John Fox, who, all of them... Dude, I thought Fox was going to be solid, and then he came here, and it was just like... I honestly think... What the fuck happened? I think with him... I think he was just taking the money and coasting. Yeah, probably. He was like, because everybody made a big deal that throughout John Fox's career is like the second or like the second year he's with the team is when they really start to accelerate. Yeah. So his second year with the Bears, we thought, and we had every reason to think. I mean, for I'm not going to get into the Jay Cutler debate right now. But yeah, yeah, Jay Cutler, we'll get there. who had the season before had like what had like the best season of his career with Adam Gase as the offensive yeah. coordinator. The defense was starting to look good again. We started getting some weapons on offense and you finally thought like, okay, this is the year where we're going to, and the Bears suck that year. Yeah, they, were, they, were like, they were like hard to watch. Yeah, um, but anyway, the point is like you went through these three coaches. So it was over the course of like 15 years of head coaches who were extremely stoic and almost had this to the media and to the fans, this like, I know better than you attitude. Yeah. I love the fact that Matt Nagy is so open and is so transparent. He'll go yeah. right up to the podium and be like, oh, well, we did this because of this. And, and if it's wrong, he'll be like, yeah, we were trying to do this. It didn't work out. We're going to have to, you know. Absolutely. And I, I just love how much more open he is about stuff. It, it, it's nice to see somebody show emotion and, and just be like, yeah, this is what it is. Right. The look on his face when Parky double doinked that in the Philly game. Like, if I could still frame that, that face was the epitome, I think, of every Bears fan in the world. It I was, don't think I showed any expression. I sat on the couch <laughs> because, like I said, I knew he was going to miss it. Right. Every Bears fan knew he was going to miss it, but there was a little bit of hope. Right. So I sat there on the couch, like, blank facing, looking at the TV, and then it doubled on, and I just sat there like, all right, cool. It felt like... It just was like an eternity watching the ball fall. Yeah, it was in slow motion. Yeah. Well, the crazy thing is when it doinked the first time, it literally looked like there was a really good chance it was going to fall in. I thought it was going back in. And then when it doinked the second time, you just went, oh Oh, my fucking And then you've got the mascot in the background the whole time. Like, oh my God, no. Yeah. That just makes it worse. Oh God, that was so painful. Oh. It was one of those things where you had really high hopes. And it, it was the bizarre thing that I think you only get in sports. Where it's like, you had this mindset and this belief that like, oh yeah, we're going to playoffs, we're going to play Philly, and then see who's after that. And then, you know, hopefully we'll make it to the Super Bowl. And so you have all these like really, really high built yeah. up expectations. And, and all of a sudden, like a Thanos snap. Just, yeah, it Thanos just stops. snap and it's over. Like, like there isn't even screeching of the tires. It just stops. And no, then you kind of season stone. But I gotta be honest, like that game they looked amazing at the end of the oh, season. Yeah. And then for some reason against Philly, it just kinda looked Yeah, it was not a little great. it was a little not on they pace. Kinda I feel like they just got really nervous. Yeah, they, I feel like they were a little too anxious about it and just Well, that's always the other side of the argument that you can make in sports where it's like everybody and their brother can be mad at Cody Parkey for double doinking that thing. Yeah, on the other day, why did we leave it up to Cody Parkey yeah, to win us the game? Yeah, you're off. Why did we leave it to begin with? It's the same reason we left it up to 
Robbie Gold to take us to the Super Bowl. Right. Let's yeah. be honest. You know, yeah, it was Robbie Gold. Robbie Gold took us. Robbie Gold and the defense took us to the Super Bowl. Because you know, Rex was out almost that whole year. Rex was he? out. Who did we have in? We had um, Rick Orton. We Kyle had Orton. Orton. Cap Neckbeard. Yeah. Yeah. Kyle Orton. <laughs> who would, he was in? Who would maybe and throw for like, hundred yards a game? And <sighs> that defense was so good though. Erlacher and Briggs and Tillman. That's just got to be the story of the Bears. It's yeah. just like they look so good, they're so great, and then at a certain point they just stop. stall. They just stall because that Super Bowl was absolutely ridiculous. Well, the crazy thing is, you remember that game starts off with Devin Hester. It starts that off back for a with the greatest return man in return history. man in history, Devin Hester. For sure. That sure. game that I went to where um, Erlacher wins on my jersey, uh-huh. Devin Hester ran back two. Oh, that was that game. That was yeah, the game the against the Lions. Yeah. He ran back two. Okay. And I'm like, this is the coolest shit in the world. <laughs> I, he signed my jersey. But the weird thing about Devin Hester, first, you can't understand what the dude says. Like, I don't I have a hard time understanding, like, a, a deep southern Louisiana accent. Right. But he told me to take my shirt off so he would sign it. He won't sign your. He wouldn't sign my jersey while it was on me. He had me take it off and then he held it in his hand. Whatever, Devin. Whatever. And I was like, okay, do what you gotta do. I'm standing in the Bears parking lot with no shirt on. I'm like, okay, but that was like the coolest thing. So I still have that jersey. I got Johnny Knox, and which like Johnny Knox was one of the coolest dudes I ever met. Yeah. And I was a huge Johnny Knox fan. And then, so him and Devin, they signed it. They were really cool. I got pictures with them. Mm-hmm. And then, you know. That happened. And then they're like, okay, yeah. You know. yeah. But yeah, that, like the way that Super Bowl started, it was like kickoff, Hester runs back. I'm like, dude, this is it. Yeah, we are on pace. And then, and then it just, yeah. and then Manning came out. I was just going to say, that's the thing is a lot of yeah. people, when they look back on that Super Bowl, they want to put blame on the offense. If you look at the stats, Peyton Manning shredded. Peyton Manning shredded. killed our defense. Oh my, it was like, I want to say that, and I might be wrong, but I want to say the defense gave up like 375 yards in that it game. It was ridiculous. I mean, even Erlacher after the game was like, dead. Like people want to be mad at Rex, that's on the Peyton game. Manning. Scorched. Ripped us apart. Yeah. He picked up he picked apart what our defense was doing. Right. That dude probably watched every game from the last three seasons before. Yeah. And then showed up to the game and was like, Oh, so they went in motion here, back here. Okay, I'm just gonna do this yeah. score. We'll score on him. I kinda got that feeling with Peyton Manning throughout the course of his career that he had some crazy ability where he could be hypnotized and sleep while he watches film. <laughs> because I feel he like just... he was probably the king of it though, because he had such a way with defenses. Like I'm not a huge Peyton Manning fan. I just have so much respect for right, him. Yeah. He could step up to the line and just look over. Yeah. And then he'd be like, okay, no, we're doing this. And then right. rip him apart. Right, yeah. Well, I remember seeing this video, this picture of him one time that I think encapsulated every team, everything. And it was when he was with, um, oh, I don't know. I think he was with Denver at the time. Yeah, it, was like, he was with Denver. it was his first year at Denver. And it's like, 10 30 11 o'clock at night at their practice facility and it's a picture of peyton manning and he's all by himself and he's sitting on a stool with his right leg in an ice bath with his helmet on and an ipad <laughs> watching film and i'm like this is why this dude That's is at the so level good. he's at because yeah. he's just like the cerebral assassin where he just and even then you know what though you go back to that super bowl um, Rex Grossman threw a pick six in that game. Yeah. And I think if I remember, if you take that pick six out of it, the Bears only lost by, I want to say, five points. Yeah, it would have only been like so five, even, five. So even, still, they, it was, it still was not very... No. I, 
No. That yeah. one's like forever haunting as well. And we're just, we're kind of, we're, we're, it's kind of the bizarre thing about Bears fans though. And I was kind of, I'm really, really hoping with this Mitch thing that we can get past it because it seems like for the entirety of Bears Nation, there's always this belief that no matter who the QB is, the guy on the bench is better. Well, I feel like <laughs> that's always been that way. But here's the thing, here's my personal belief about just sports in Chicago as a whole. Sports in Chicago, a team will do really, really well. Then they will go 80 years without doing shit. And then all of a sudden, like, look at the Blackhawks, dude. Right. They pulled out three Stanley Cups in, you know, six years. Like, yeah, it was that's pretty huge. Insane. And guess what? Now they suck. Right. I'm a huge Chicago Blackhawks fan, and it's painful for me to watch the games because they suck. You know? You know? And then they, they pull stupid moves like, Getting rid rid of Coach Q and that which makes no that, sense. That's stupid. But then you know the Cubs. Look at the run they had. They were great, and then all those years of sucking, and then they win, and now they're like, okay, we're still pretty good. But. You, you know the weird thing is, and you're probably talking to somebody who can speak with a lot of authority on this, being the huge Cubs fan that I am. Yeah. Is that prior to the Cubs? Now the Cubs won the World Series in 2016. It's been 108 years since they yeah, won. Yeah, 108 years. Longest drought in sports history, and I remember when that season was going on because probably for since about 2003. On the side, I've also been a Boston Red Sox fan. And through social media, I've gotten to know a lot of people who are Red Sox fans and gotten to talk to them. But I remember during the 2016 season, we were going through the playoffs, and I had several Red Sox fans tell me that, just a heads up, if you win the World Series, everything's going to change. Like, right now, there's all this good faith and goodwill and excitement about expectations and where the team's going and can we finally break this curse. Once you win that World Series, nothing else is acceptable. Like yeah. that, that will be the way the fan everything yeah. will turn, and it's one hundred percent correct. Yeah. I mean, you look right now. I mean, we're we're down to, I think a little bit over three weeks left in the season. And if the, if the regular season ended today, the Cubs would be in the playoffs. Yeah. But I mean, they're hanging by a thread, like two and a half yeah. games ahead it's, of Arizona. It's not. It's not like oh, they're, yeah. they're winning the division, and, and it's insane playing. when you look for anybody out there who's been a Cubs fan. Has been a Cubs fan for a long time, and we know how terrible. The Cubs were for extremely yeah. long stretches. Yeah. And you got this guy, this guy by the name of Joe Madden, who's the manager of the Cubs, yep. who's in his fifth year. Now, his four years previous, prior to this season, because the season hasn't ended yet, four trips to the playoffs. Yeah. Three trips to the national championship game and a World Series ring. And there are Cubs fans who want to run that man out of town exactly. right now. It are, makes no sense. Are you insane? It makes no they, sense. They need like if you ask me, like if you would have told me prior to yeah. 2016 well, that this guy is going to come in and be manager of the Cubs and win the first World Series, I think to myself, well, that guy's like manager of the Cubs yeah. for life if as long as he wants to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can do whatever he wants to. But then, well, yeah, like like you said, it, everything changes. Like the Blackhawks win three Stanley Cubs, mm-hmm. and then. Ten years in a row, they don't even make the playoffs. Yeah. Why? Well, first off, we've got all this money wrapped up in a goalie who can't even skate out to the net from the bench without uh, getting a concussion. Is that um, Corey Crawford? Corey Crawford. I am. Yeah. I am adamantly a huge non-supporter of Corey Crawford. I cannot stand. I think the dude has been a great goalie. Um, he definitely, I don't believe, was the reason we won the last one because mm-hmm. we had to have Scott Darling come in as a backup in the first round against Nashville and save us Yeah, because we were in a hole. But then they have money wrapped up in guys that 
you know, honestly don't perform anymore. They're getting slow. We have Duncan Keith who plays like 30 to 40 minutes of a 60 minute game, you yeah. know, and he's tired. He's been doing this now. You can't play people like that all the time and expect right. people are, and well, they're all of our high money guys. Yeah. You know, it seems like I'm a huge Patrick Kane fan. Patrick Kane, even though the rest of the team is getting worse and worse, Patrick Kane continues to have his best season, his best season, his best season. Yeah. Continuously being a top goal scorer all, all across the NHL. Mm-hmm. But they don't make a play. What, um, well, it's, it's something weird that happens in sports where it's like a lot of times, and this always ends up the rub between ownership and the actual player, yeah. especially the agent, where it's like the guy wants to be paid for what they've done in the past. Yeah, and it's not worth it. Yeah, that, that's and I hate to say it as much as we've talked about Erlacher here, that was kind of his eventual undoing is that his yeah. contract was up and he wanted this fat contract. And in all respect to Erlacher, the organization had gotten to the point where it's like, if we were going to pay you for the player you've been, you'd probably be worth this money. But if we're going to pay you for the player you are right now today going forward, yeah. you've gotten a little bit older, you've lost half a step, you're not as explosive as you used to be, we're going to tie a lot of our budget up just in yeah. you and not be able to address other But then at the same time, there's Jay Cutler in the same scenario where this dude did not even play a full season right. and was hurt and they were like, hey, Here's $21 million. Right. Well, this dude didn't even play the season before. Why are you giving him the money? Like, that is the things with sports I do not understand. And then that dude just said, cool, here's some guaranteed money. I don't care anymore. Right. And then, you know what he does after he leaves the Bears? He goes to Miami and steals their money. <laughs> My opinion on Jay Cutler is he is the best con artist in the history of professional sports with how much money he has made for how little he's done in his career. Let me, let me tell you something about Jay. Have you, let, me, let me hear I, I doubt you have, but there <laughs> there is a reality show out there called Very Cavallari. Mm-hmm. With I, him, I know who she is. With, with his wife. So it's her reality show. Yeah. And so sometimes, you know, and it's about following her around and her running her fashion modeling business. I don't even know. I watched a couple episodes of it just because I had to see. <laughs> Let me tell you something about Jay Cutler. Because obviously you see him on the show. He lives in the house. Yeah. So he is there. That man in his own home is 100% the same man you saw in public. <laughs> I have never, ever seen a guy who gives less fucks yeah. than Jake Cutler. I, I can imagine. He just doesn't care. <laughs> this is a guy who's worth hundreds of millions. I mean, we're not even talking about how much money The sad thing is, she's probably worth way more than him. Oh, probably. And yet, even still, with this house, yeah. with this humongous house, this dude walks around and flip-flops and sweatpants and a dirty pants. sweatshirt with a mug of coffee, and he just wants to go outside and play with his chickens and his llama. That yeah. dude is not <laughs> Give a shit about you, about me, about Bears Nation. Literally, nothing. The, he's literally like the best counters of all time. He came in like he had like a couple things here and there, but he was never truly great. I he was never an elite quarterback. I was, um, I was a big. I've kind of changed, but I was a big believer in his for a long time yeah. because I felt like because it was Chicago and because of the fact that it was Bears fans, like any problem with the team, everybody just wanted to saddle on the quarterback. And for a long time, I felt like like. Jay, like if you strip everything away, that dude had a ton of ability. He that, had a ton of ability. That dude had such a powerful arm. Oh my god! But I never really got. He never really got consistent accuracy. Yeah, it well, was always just power it to the house 
and if there's a receiver down there, he'll catch it. Well, the crazy thing is, and one of the big stats that I used to use to defend him is when you broke down, look over the course of the Bears, all the interceptions that he threw, I want to say something like over 75-80% of them came in like the fourth quarter or later when the Bears were trailing. Yeah. So he was trying to force the ball. He was really trying. So I can understand that. And I defended him for a long time. Like, the dude doesn't have any weapons. Like, he didn't have anybody to throw to. And the fact that we're still managing somehow here and there to win games. And then I forget exactly what year. It was the one year under John Fox. And I don't remember if Adam Gase was still there or not as the OC. But we finally went into a year where I'm like, he's got receivers. He's got running backs. He's got an O-line. This is it. Nothing. Shit the bed. Yeah, absolutely totally shit, shit the, the bed. bed the whole season. Yeah. There was nothing there. And that's when I was kind of like, okay, I think my opinion I think that's when everybody <laughs> finally realized, like, okay, yeah, yeah. I think it's about time. This, yeah. this might be the end. And um, then I don't know what they were doing down in Miami, but they were like, hey, we should get that guy. Well, I, I, you know, I got a gut <laughs> feeling that was all Adam Gase because he went down there and became the head coach. Yeah. And the best year Jay ever had as a QB was with Adam Gase as his offensive coordinator in Chicago. And the best year that Adam Gase ever had in his offensive coordinator was with Jay as his quarterback. Yeah. So he probably goes down there and be like, looks around like, hey, guys, we got shit for QBs. And, yeah, that's possible. Yeah. And so he probably went to management like, hey, we need to get Jay. Like, we get Jay down here, and overnight this offense will be totally they different. They gave him so much money, too. <laughs> and the meme of him standing at the podium with a cigarette hanging in the corner of his mouth, he's like, yeah, they gave me money to come down here and throw the football I or something. Right. I don't know. I know, right? Like, as soon as I saw that they signed him on, I was like, and he only wow. did one year. He did. Yeah, they he gave him. Did one year they gave him. Did they give him like a two year contract? He played one year, and walked away. I thought it was just one year. It might have been. And I thought then, it was one year, but it was a lot of money. And then Adam Gase got hired. They were fired the next year because yeah. I think he's with the Jets now or something. I have no idea. But wow, yeah, yeah. That's anyway. That's that's. I mean, that's Bears Nation for you. You know, yeah, we've that's just how it is. But like, like I was saying, that's just sports in Chicago to me. Is you know, same with the White Sox, the Cubs. The Blackhawks, oh, the Bulls, the Bulls. Oh God! Look, look, look at what they did in the nineties, man. Dude. And then they have just—they had one year that came somewhat close, uh-huh. but other than that, they just suck. Well, the crazy thing is, it's like you're either you're either winning championships consistently, yeah. or you just suck. Well, the thing about the Bulls was is that they won their first title what in '92, mm-hmm. and the last of those six in '98. So for me, that spanned the years from being 12 years old to being 18. So it's like my formative years yeah. were the Bulls dynasty. It yeah. was Michael Jordan. It was Scottie Pippen. You know, later then it was Dennis Rodman and Ron Harper. Prior to that, you know, it was Bill Cartwright and John Paxson. And I'll never, ever forget, I was such a huge Bulls fan. I had Bulls t-shirts, jerseys, posters all over my room. I had Wheaties boxes up the yeah. ass. My parents were getting irritated. Stuff you know, I had to get the new pair of Jordans every year. And I remember in 98 when they beat Utah in six to win their sixth championship. And everybody knew at the end of that year, Jordan was retiring. Pippen was leaving the Bulls. Rodman was leaving the Bulls. And it was such a curtain call that actually, the as much as the Bulls have been a huge part of my formative years, yeah. in 99, I didn't watch a single game. Because I'm like, it's over. It's basically like, oh no, we suck again. Well, it, it was like, like because that year they had set the record for most wins in a regular yeah. season. They were so good that I remember when they won the finals in 98, literally thinking, I just watched for a season the greatest NBA team that will ever exist. Exactly. It will never, ever, ever I, I, I honestly, I don't think it will be able to be beat because I feel like, I feel like the late 90s, early 2000s, that was really the end of like basketball as basketball. Yeah, I think to so. Me, to me right now, I, 
I'm not a huge basketball fan. <laughs> but I don't have anything against people that are in basketball. Basketball now is not what basketball was back then. Mm-hmm. Basketball was a lot more physical back then. Yeah. I feel like... A lot of know, sports were that way, it's, it's a lot of sports that way. Yeah. But, I mean, honestly, I feel like with, with football, I feel like they hit a lot harder now. And you'll have you'll have yeah. players from the from the eighties and nineties that say these guys hit a lot harder now. Well, the big the big thing between now and then is that it it, it almost ended up this catch twenty two thing because yeah. they started getting more and more worried about concussions. Yeah. So over the course of time, it's like oh well, we got to put more padding in this helmet, more padding, more padding. Yeah. So you get to the point where these helmets, where it used to be this plastic shell with some foam padding, is now a thirteen pound shell, yeah. and these guys are like launching themselves at each other yeah. like missiles. Well, and and the thing is too is like the the more it goes on it's the more physical these guys gotta be the, the harder they've trained yeah the the more they've jacked themselves up yeah. as far as muscle and power goes right you know and it's these guys are not the same size that they used no. to be you know in yeah. the 70s and 80s you could still play as a guy at six foot tall right now a six foot tall guy's a midget well, what know? was that movie that was based on true the mark Wahlberg one was it oh, invincible no. was that what that's called was where, it invincible where he was where he, he played for the eagles yeah, yeah. he's a walk-on yeah that was a great story that was a good movie that shit could never happen today. no it would never you know it i mean never you would have to be like a freak who's working out 12 hours There's a day no to just walk up and be like oh yeah yeah, because obviously if you're good enough, you're like if you're walking around the street yeah. and you're good enough to play in the NFL, you're not walking around on the street. But I mean, how many times, even as a kid for me, I would watch the NFL and when they do their like offensive line intros across the screen, it'd be like so-and-so junior Baptist high school, like something like that. Like Because right. they, were, they were eight foot tall and yeah. 500 pounds right. and they would just stop the guy. Well, now... You see so and so from <laughs> some college that you've never heard of, right? But they're six foot eight, three hundred pounds of muscle. Yeah, and they'll run faster than I will. Right. You yeah. know, <laughs> <laughs> the other guy, the other guys back then, you know, the high school guys that would come out and get drafted for the line, you know, they would get followed out by a tuba like. Yeah, that was exactly. You know? it. And now these guys come out and you're like, shit, that's a big. You're like, man, this guy's oh, refrigerator. This guy's gonna kill. This somebody. guy's refrigerator, and he can run a four five forty. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> like this guy's way faster than I'll ever be, and could probably yeah. lift my house off yeah. the foundation. He's literally big so enough to I, lift I, my I car. Feel like, I feel like that's where football is definitely doing well. I feel like hockey is done really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as basketball, it's not as physical. No. You do not see guys run down the court like you used to. No, it's definitely Even in that aspect. They yeah. just kind of they kind of do a light jog. They get down there. These guys aren't yeah. really like killing themselves. And I gotta admit, I'm, when it comes to basketball, it's one of those bizarre things where I love the sport, but I'm such a I'm such a lazy NBA fan, mainly because it's been hard to get behind the Bulls because John Paxson has done everything that's possible to drive that team. He must have something dirty on Reinsdorf. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, it seems like today there's a lot more finesse to it, a lot more, like, I don't want to say style points to make it sound like in a bad way because there are a lot of those players out there right now, like LeBron and Steph Curry, who are just amazing to watch play. Yeah. But it's definitely not the same It's game not the same play. because you have one guy out there that's just – killing everybody else because they're right. more talented. Yeah. Like, okay, cool. Screw the rest of the team. Well, and all, I feel like all games are going to evolve. Yeah. You know, where it's, where it's like, and it, it, I think all all of the sports are this way. I, I think football's the worst at it, basketball's this way, where if, if some team comes up with something innovative and it works, everybody's going to start copycatting everybody. that. And eventually that just kind of becomes... It happens with football, basketball, baseball. Yeah. Um, motor sports, any of it, you know. 
at some point there's always somebody who has something better so right yeah I feel you it's um I think it happens a lot slower in baseball well let's face it baseball is one of those sports that's designed that I feel like baseball was strictly designed not to and that's what I love about <laughs> it to be honest well the crazy thing about the only thing they could do here and there was like give this guy some roids and he's going to hit a ball way out of the right way. right and then that was really it that's all anybody's ever been able to come up with well the big innovation that ever happened in baseball and i don't know if you're much of a baseball historian but was was when the the dead ball era ended um it used to be in baseball and you got to keep in mind that like the cincinnati reds who were the very first professional baseball club they played their very first professional game just a few years after the civil war ended Okay, that's how long this damn game has been around, folks. You know, and it used to be. First of all, the job's pitcher, the pit, the job of the pitcher. It was more like a men's softball game. Like his job was just to get the ball up there, let the guy hit it, and let the defense do their thing. Um, and it was a very slow progression until that became a specialized yeah, like actually position. Football. And so, what the pitcher used to do to give them any kind of advantage is every single time they held the ball. They would get mud on it. They would spit tobacco on it. They'd wow. scratch it on their belt buckle. I mean, anything they could. So you get to the point where this ball, and they'd maybe only go through two or three balls an entire game. Yeah, instead of a new ball every time. And that's exactly why. Because the ball would end up such a misshapen mess and such a blob <laughs> that there was a game between, I want to say, the Yankees and the Cleveland Indians. And the pitcher came in high and tight on the Cleveland guy and hit him in this is before batting helmets yeah hit him in the left temple so hard that the ball cracked off his skull and out in the infield and i want to say dimaggio picked it up and threw it to first so he thought he hit it with his bat it completely crushed his temple his orbital bone he died in the hospital the next day and it was after that that baseball said we can't do this anymore from now on, any time a baseball gets any kind of scuff or mark or dirt on it, it gets replaced with a brand new baseball. That coincided. And so this makes the ball much easier to hit. A fresh baseball is way easier to hit than this misshapen, like, massive fucking brown. <laughs> exactly. It looks like a fucking football. It's flying at you at 90 miles an hour. <laughs> and this also coincided with the ascension of Babe Ruth. Yeah. And so it was one of those things where right off the bat, balls just started flying out of the park. That was the big innovation for baseball, and that happened in the mid-20s. Yeah, that's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty bad. Now we're talking, we're almost 100 years later. I mean, yeah, there have been minor innovations that, they, you know, they've done little things here and there, to, but, but for the most part, it's the same damn game. Yeah. You know, and that's, uh, that, that's one of the things I love is the timelessness about it is that I, I find it really, really hard, and I don't mean any disrespect to anybody out there, to compare the stats of an NFL player who played in the 60s versus an NFL player today. It's a completely different game. You know, and I'm not like trying to badmouth anybody, but there are times where you wonder, like some of the people who were considered the greats back then, could they hack it today? Would they even make a roster? Like with hockey. Wayne Gretzky would not even be Wayne Gretzky, yeah, one of the greats all time. Yeah. All time leading goal scorer, whatever. He would not be able to compete today right. by any means. He would be outskated. He would be outshot. He would not, you know, just on physicality. Right, you're right. He would get murdered yeah. in a rink today. Yeah. Some of that Some of that you really wonder. But the point is with baseball, yeah. You know, somebody actually, I think a couple of years ago, broke down Babe Ruth. Because people make that, oh, yeah. well, could Babe Ruth hack it today? 
okay, maybe not running out of triple. <laughs> but somebody actually took every single home run that he ever hit and broke it down and figured out that if he played in the majors today, he would finish his career with more home runs than he did in the 20s and 30s. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, and, and that's one of the things that's timeless is you can sit there. And I think that's one of the great things about baseball is the pace of the game because yeah. it moves at such a slower pace. Yeah, There's room it's for... Slower. You can you can understand and just it, grasp everything. And you can have conversations yeah. and reflect. You know, you know? I, you know, you and I, we went to that Cubs game mm-hmm months back that was that was a great day that was a good time yeah at, at the game and um i can't honestly say anything bad about the experience no. you know except for drunk dipshit behind us oh who almost got his ass beat yeah the well game. and i mean i i had to stop that guy from killing him like he comes up because this guy is sitting to the left behind me and the guy who wants to kill him is at the right in front of me. Yeah. So I'm in the fucking middle. Yeah, you're in the middle. And this guy came up like Captain Captain like USA coming up like, you know, (laughs) the slipped back hair. The uh oh my god, because they got started because of his sunglasses or whatever. They were talking shit to each other and this guy was like, Yeah, why don't you shut up M frames or something like that? And then this guy comes up, and I'm like, oh, shit. So I just grab M-frames over here. I'm like, stop, stop. And then I just sat down. (laughs) Yeah. Well, okay. So there's this kid. What would you say? He had 22, 23, something like that. Drunk off his ass. Tall, skinny. If you were to create an idea of your mind of a millennial looks like, it was this that kid. That was that kid. Like, if the wind blew, yeah. he was going to get knocked over. And there he fucking goes. <laughs> right. Yeah. But so thought he, he had the right to be able to talk shit to this dude. Well, first of all... And was going to be okay. One of his buddies, like, spilt a beer. And yeah. let me explain to you folks. Not only did this guy spill his beer on him, he spilled beer on him when this guy is sitting two rows in front of him. Yeah, it was pretty bad. They were sloppy. So naturally, he stands up and looks back, and he's clearly agitated, but, yeah. he, but he's more just giving the stern dad look. Now, this guy, straight up, like, construction worker. Like, he's got the jean shorts on and the, the socks new and the balance. new balance. The white and black new balances that were brand new in 1996. Yeah. Like, the, he's still wearing them. Still got the grass stains on him yeah, from over the that yard. Is my, that is my dad. And, and the Cubs had, and yeah, the M frames. Yeah, and the so, M frames. So with the slicked back yeah, sides on the hair. Totally. And you know? so, yeah, he stands up and gives the, the total look like, thanks, asshole. Yeah. You know? And this dude, who wasn't even the dude who spilled the beer on was with that group, just starts fucking jawing yeah, at him. They just started. Shut up, M frame. Shut up, yeah. G. And like twice this dude got up they to come were like, after him. Oh, you're in the fucking bleachers. It's going to happen. The dude's like, no, I'm trying to see you with my family. Yeah. And keep in mind, it was the ninth inning. Yeah, ninth like, inning. Like there were two outs in the ninth inning. Like the Cubs the, were one outs away from winning this thing. The Seagulls were coming down yeah. and shitting on everybody, you know? I want to state for the record that um, I found out after research that they are not Seagulls. They are ring-billed gulls. Anyway, yeah, go on, Kevin. probably the same time. <laughs> Okay, they are... Whatever the hell you call them goals. But anyway, yeah, anyway, yeah. yeah, they're shitting on people. We're cheering because that's hilarious. Yeah. You know, I'm making sure I don't get shit on. But right. Yeah, they were like, oh, yeah, this is going to happen. This dude's getting pissed off. And then it was like the straw that broke the camel's back when he was like, yeah, keep running your fucking mouth, M-frames. Yeah. That dude was like, took so much like offense that somebody called out his Oakley M-frames. <laughs> And he, like, just started charging up there. And I'm like, if I don't put my hand up and just tell this guy to fucking stop. And then, yeah. I, did you say something to the kid behind us? Because I didn't even look at his direction. I was just trying not to no. get killed by this. I'm going to tell you like, that. I have no problem fighting and holding down. I actually enjoy fighting. I'll be honest about that. I always have. I'll tell you this much. I don't know if I was a shitty friend or not. 
because I was sitting there, you were to my right between the two. Yeah. And literally I'm watching the game and I'm hearing this, that like I've got a subroutine in my brain that's processing this whole <laughs> argument that's going on. And out of the corner of my eye, I see this guy stand up, turn around and bolt up the bleachers. And I just lean to my left, like, go get him, son. Yeah. <laughs> go jack that Thanks. bro up. Yeah, it didn't occur to me. Like, but my yeah, buddy like, Kevin's next to me. Like, yeah. I, I don't know if I just assumed you were going to lean with me and we were just, yeah, he's going to. No, I was, I was just, but like I said, like I have no problem holding my own, but I'm like, man, this guy fucking kill me. Right. Like this guy. He's that middle-aged dad strong. Like there is, there is strong body. I learned this from my dad. Like I said, right. my dad was a, is is a construction worker or whatever. He has always done like underground pipe and you know storm drain stuff like that. It's right. Like the big concrete pipes. Oh yeah. That are like forty feet underground. There's a huge difference between like bodybuilder strength and lifter strength versus like hard-working dad strength. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like, I watched my dad pick up a whole refrigerator one time and throw it, like, 40 feet. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's dad strength. That's dad strength. Yeah. This dude was dad strength. Right. And I was like, oh, God, I'm going to die. Yeah. So I literally just put my hand up, and I think it touched his arm, and I was like, I was like, dude, just stop. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, stop. I guess in my head, I totally thought... I don't know why. He stopped. Yeah. I thought you were just going to, like, Olay and Matador the guy and, like, lean out of the way. And, and I was going to get serenaded to the sound of this guy's skull getting bashed in while oh, Go God. Cubs Go was playing loudspeaker. And in the background, you just hear, what the fuck? It was so oh, good. Well, all right, bud. We're going to we're gonna wrap this thing up. We just yeah. plowed through, like, an hour 45. So. All right, dope. Until next time, man. Yeah. I, thanks for having me yeah. on. I really appreciate it. It was fun. Appreciate you coming again. on. Quick shot. Um... Kevin Hughes. He's my guest here. He is in a band called Miles Apart. If you have not looked them up on social media, do so. Um, he himself here did the intro music to this podcast, which you're going to hear, provided I can figure out how to work this thing. But it, it's great. He's great. Check it out. The other thing I want to throw out there is that um, I, I'm kind of doing a, a fundraising campaign for my dear friend, my best friend. Her name's Melissa Kipe, who's dealing with something called stem cell activation syndrome. Um, it, it's a rare disease. The treatments are extremely expensive. And even though she has insurance, it, it's sucking up a lot of money in terms of you know copay and out-of-pocket and that kind of stuff. So if you could, um, she has a GoFundMe going. We're doing everything we can to raise money. Whether you've got five bucks, ten bucks, twenty bucks, every single little bit helps. So if you want to go to GoFundMe.com and search Melissa Kipe, um, last name is spelled K-E-I-P. I would personally, personally, greatly appreciate it. if you go there. You can read the story of everything she's dealing with and everything that's going on. Other than that, I want to thank everybody else for tuning in. I want to thank you for giving me a shot, and uh, hopefully, we'll hear you back uh, for the next one. Thanks, guys. Bye.